Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, great in power, rich in mercy to all who call upon you. We praise you, Lord God, our King. You deserve all glory and honor and praise and worship. It's a privilege to be here in your house, to worship with my brothers and sisters, to to worship with your children, to worship in word and song and communion. We just thank you, Lord. Your, your mercies are abundant. Your graces are abundant. Lord, we thank you that as your people we can come together in prayer. We thank you that we can come knowing that you hear us when we do pray. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we can come with confidence. We can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I pray, Lord, that as Hauser Community Church we would become a people of prayer. That we would become a people that pray without ceasing. That pray in faith and confidence of you, Lord, and your work. Help us to understand our desperate need for you every moment. And that understanding of our desperate need for you would drive a life of prayer that does not cease. Father, I want to lift before you today the sick in our congregation. Would you bring healing to those who have illnesses, no matter if the illness is small or or if it's terminal? We know that you are the great physician, Lord. We know that you can move in mighty ways and you can heal where you choose to do so. We thank you, Lord, and we ask for healing, but we also know that you choose with perfect wisdom. And we trust you. We trust your every decision, Lord. Lord, we also pray for our leaders in this nation From the president to the local leaders and all in between, God, they need your guidance. They need your wisdom. More importantly, Lord, I pray that you would bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want nothing more than to exalt you as a nation. And I know there's a lot not going that way, Lord. So we ask that you would humble those in positions of leadership. Lord, now as we turn to your word, we ask for you to help us to listen, to understand, to apply your truth by your spirit. Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wave around us and all the turmoil around us, Lord. We're we're anchored in you. You're steady, unmovable. Lord, bring us to a growing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we long for you to save the lost in this room, 
the lost seated in churches all over this nation and, and the world around us. Lord, we ask that you would build your church. We ask that you would turn stony hearts to ones of flesh that follow you. Lord, we ask that you would continue to set the captives free. And Lord, I ask that you'd give me strength to proclaim your word this morning faithfully. Jesus, I long for you alone to be glorified. Because it's in you alone that we all have our hope. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. Thank you for worshiping with us. The rest of you, go ahead and turn to Acts. I have to consciously tell myself we're not in Luke still. We're in Acts 3, as Jerry told us, 3, 17 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Um, I would love for you to be in this with me. There's just so much we can look at today. I thought about it. Uh, Pastor Kai, he did preach on this. Um, So I'm not correcting. I'm not going back and correcting what he preached on. Uh, I just told him, you know, I want you to skim over those last ones because I really want to talk about uh, the prophets in this section. So um, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this this passage. So most of you know, a couple weeks ago I had uh, back surgery And uh, I'm not sure how many of you have had surgery before, but when you go in and they're prepping you and they're putting IVs in and they're doing everything, giving you your gown, and what they're doing constantly is asking you a million questions. Um, And they ask the same questions over and over and over. And the two most repeated ones are, what's your name? Very important. And what are we doing to you today? Um, Which at first you want to say... Don't you know what you're doing? But they want to make sure you understand. I'm sure it's for legal reasons that they do all of that. But uh, for me as a pastor, it really resonated with me that why they were asking me these, these two questions really stood out. Because there's this constant reminder of who you are, and there's this constant reminder of what's being repaired. So there's, like, there's this element of hope when you're laying in the bed that I am getting repaired but if my surgeon would have said, Greg, you know, we're, your back is messed up. We're going to go in there, and uh, we're not really sure what's going on. Uh, we're going to give it our best shot, though, and uh, we'll see how it turns out. I'm pretty sure I would have opted out of surgery um, if that was the case. But since I knew what they were doing, I knew how they were going to do it, and I knew that they had a reputation of successful surgeries. I could go into that surgery confidently knowing I'm okay. I can, I can trust them. Now, as I thought about that, and I thought, now, there's a lot of Christians who know they're broken. They know they're sinners. They know they need a Savior, but it seems like we have no idea that uh, Jesus promised to make us holy now. That he promised to be repairing us now. And I think this, because of this lack of understanding, a lot of us are stuck in sin and apathy and depression and anger and impatience 
and addiction and lust, and we could go on and on and on. You see, the lack of knowledge of the work of Jesus Christ, it starves your faith, so you remain stuck in sin. You don't know what he's doing. Blind, or faith is not, it's not this blind bet. It's not hoping for the best. It's not a, a flip of the coin or a blind leap into uh, darkness. Authentic faith is confident assurance in the work of Christ. That he is changing us. That he's making us holy. One pastor said, if you are absolutely gripped by the coming realities that have been promised to you by God, then how you live your life in the present will be radically different than if you didn't possess that certainty. That's what faith is, my friends. Positive certainty expressed in action. If you want to head into life confident of the power of Jesus Christ in every single aspect of your brokenness, then you need to increase your faith in Him. And the way that we do that with the help of His Spirit in us is increasing the knowledge of the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. So the more we know Jesus Christ, the more we trust Jesus Christ. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophets were proclaiming the word of God. They were doing so to fortify the faith of the people of God. They were reminding them, remember who he is. Remember what he has done. Remember what he has promised you. So that they could trust in the Lord's plan of salvation for his people. They constantly... We're calling for Israel to turn their eyes to Yahweh, to trust him, to turn from their wickedness. And that's what we see in the text today. Prophecy works to strengthen our faith in God's plan of salvation. As we read the prophetic word, as we see what God has promised, our our faith is bolstered, it's made strong. So we'll look today at how our faith is strengthened through God's word. First, we see that faith or prophecy strengthens our faith in the suffering of Christ. So if you will, Acts 3, let's look at verses 17 through 21. Peter, he's in the middle of a sermon, and he says, And now, brothers, hold on, let me just just in case you don't remember. He has just told them, remember, uh, you crucified the Messiah. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And, And it's through this Jesus Christ that this man was healed. So he's he's proclaiming this in Solomon's portico. That's the that's the background, just very briefly. And then he breaks in to this and he says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, 
Jesus, whom heaven and earth, or excuse me, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter draws us right into prophecy. God foretold, he says. Remember, remember what he said. So we have to ask, what does Peter mean? He says, God foretold, verse 18, by the mouth of all the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So we have to ask, what does he mean by all the prophets? Because we know that all the prophets are not proclaiming that message. So let's look at how Luke uses the phrase. Luke 24, and the prophet, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. If you remember, he's walking with those on the road to Emmaus and he is reminding them that the Old Testament is proclaiming his crucifixion and resurrection. And then we see in verse 24 in this very passage that we're in, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him It's a lot of prophets. Also proclaim these days. So he's saying all of the prophets proclaim the days that we are presently in. In Acts 10, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So we see he's using all the prophets in this general sense. He's saying all of them uh, together are proclaiming this message. Importantly, we need to see that Peter is saying that the whole Old Testament is this building up of God's plan of salvation. He's been proclaiming from the very beginning his plan of salvation and that ultimately it's gonna find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So it all flows to Jesus and from Jesus. He is, he is the center, he's the climax, he's the most important object of our faith. And certainly we know that all the prophets didn't mention the suffering Christ. But Jesus taught the disciples to link these passages to himself. Again, Luke 24. He's resurrected, if you remember, and he's come into the room with the disciples and he's, he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you that while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And he's not saying that every prophet, were, they were only talking about Jesus. They were dealing with real time issues. They were talking to the people, but all of that finds its perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ. These verses, the prophets, all that they proclaim finds its perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So the suffering of David as king over Israel finds its perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ as he becomes the eternal king and his kingdom is never taken away. It's established forever. The suffering of Moses as he trods through the wilderness with a complaining people, is, it finds its perfect and fullest application in Jesus Christ who suffers and brings his people to the promised land without failing. 
The weeping of Jeremiah finds its fullest application in Jesus Christ as as he sits and weeps over Jerusalem, but then goes and dies and saves them. Hosea's suffering with an unfaithful wife finds its perfect and fullest application in Jesus as his bride constantly turns away from him, but he dies so that he softens her heart and turns her back to him. All of the prophets find their greatest fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we see God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer and he thus fulfilled. He said it happened. God the Father fulfills his will in Jesus Christ by putting him on the cross. Isaiah told us of this. Yet it was the will of God, the will of the Lord, of, of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And both Jesus and Paul affirm this. This was necessary. There was no other way. Again, Luke 24. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus himself says, is it not necessary for this to happen? Paul later on says, he's explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. It was necessary for God to do this for his people. And you see, it was necessary for Jesus to suffer so that all the suffering of humanity in the shadow of sin would be absorbed and redeemed by Jesus Christ. All of the suffering. So I've heard a good God would not allow his people to suffer. A good God would not and should not allow suffering in the world. But the reason God put on flesh, the reason he became an infant This is what we should be thinking about at Christmas. The reason he became an infant and and made himself vulnerable. He had to be fed by his mom or he would have died. The reason he humbled himself in the place of a servant. The reason he allowed himself to be betrayed by Judas and, and mocked and beaten and stripped naked and hung on a cross and absolutely humiliated so that he could die was to end all suffering. To defeat evil and sin that plagues every single one of us with suffering. I remember when I was um, in Afghanistan, Nikki um, got Jackson, this little dog, to comfort him. And um, when I got back, eventually... He got sick, the dog did, and we had to put him down. And I remember going from the vet to the house and just hearing Jackson sob in the back seat and thinking, I would give anything to take that away from him right now. 
that suffering, that pain that he's feeling. I don't want my son to feel that. I want to take that away, and I couldn't. I, I had no power to take that suffering away. But listen, Jesus Christ died to take our suffering. He's able to do so. Our hope in gazing at the suffering Christ on the cross is that he loved us so much that he would cloak himself in misery to absorb our suffering. And while we suffer presently and we suffer at the hands of evil, we can lift our heads like David does in in Psalm 42 and say, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So how do we respond to the suffering Christ? Look at the text. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Repent and turn back. Peter reminded the Jews of their participation in the suffering of Jesus just previously, like I told you uh, in verse 14. You, he says, speaking to the Jews, denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. He reminds them of what they've done. And then he calls them to repentance. He says, Turn from your wickedness. You rejected the Savior. You rejected the Messiah. But that was God's will. Turn from your wickedness and towards God. And this has always been the call of the prophets. We see Zechariah. Therefore say to them, God says, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they didn't hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes which I commanded, my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. It's always been the call, turn back toward the Lord. Stop running away from him. Stop turning away. But when Jesus dies on the cross, he makes true repentance possible. He takes our heart of stone and he turns it into flesh so that we desire to follow him. We want to follow him. Are you caught up in a life of destructive, sinful living because you, forget, you have forgotten what Jesus Christ has done and promised you? Your addiction to gambling or sex or drugs or video games or TikTok or whatever... people's thoughts. These are all attempts to relieve some suffering in some way. And they all promise you to relieve suffering in some way. If you just keep going, if you just keep get more of of this thing, you won't suffer anymore. 
They're all powerless to relieve suffering. But Jesus says, turn to me. I suffered for you. I was on the cross for you so that you could turn from those false gods that promise everything and can deliver nothing. Turn from them and and turn to me. I'm the author of life. I'm the creator. I can do this. I can relieve your suffering, your pain. I can forgive your sin. Look at the text. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Christ suffered for your forgiveness of sin. We see in Hebrew 13, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. So many of you are still sitting in this mess of not believing that you are forgiven, like truly forgiven. You, if you've come to Christ, are forgiven. And that makes our church attendance spotty because I don't want to go into that building. I'm a mess. And that makes our prayer life weak because I don't even deserve to pray to God. That makes our Bible reading dry because I can't see myself as part of that story. I'm just too broken. And that cheapens what Christ has accomplished on the cross. That cheapens what he's, he says, I have forgiven you. Sinner, you are forgiven. If you've, come into Christ, if you've come to Christ, you are forgiven. And that leads to the next part, that he, he suffered for our refreshing. Not just for forgiveness so that we could sit in this, this okay, good, I'm forgiven. No, he, he refreshes us with that, with that truth. Look at the text, verse 20. I'm going to back up to 19 just to get a running start. Therefore, repent and turn back. That, okay, if you, in your Bible, when you're reading, if you see that, I always square it because he's building on his argument, okay? You don't have to do that. That's just for free. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Why am I turning back? That your sins may be blotted out, forgiven, okay? Why? That... Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He had to to die to cleanse us from sin. He forgave us of our sin so that his spirit might dwell within us. And as his spirit dwells in us, we're refreshed in faith in life, in forgiveness, in direction, in, in sorrow, in, in pain. We're, we're refreshed. That's, when we have this meal, we're refreshed. We remember what he's done. All the things that sin promised and couldn't fulfill are perfected in Jesus. That's, that sounds like a weird statement, doesn't it? But all of these things that sin and false gods and idols are promising you, Jesus can actually fulfill what you're looking for. And just as Bill read from Hosea 14, there's these beautiful promises for those who turn to the Lord. He says he heals our apostasy. He heals us turning away from him. He loves us freely. He's no longer angry with us, for we're now made righteous in Jesus Christ. 
He becomes for us like the dew that causes the lily to blossom. We're refreshed. He causes us to take root like the cedars of Lebanon. And I don't even know what that means. So I say he makes us take root like the coastal redwoods. We get that. That's what he makes us take these deep roots in him. He draws us so that we can dwell in his shadow. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you depressed? Are you tired? Are you worn down by sin? Turn to Jesus. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Christ also suffered for your participation in the kingdom. Look at verse 21. Well, 20b through 21. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You see, repentance and forgiveness and refreshing, it's not just for us personally. It's for us corporately. It's for the expansion of the kingdom. Jesus is redeeming his people, a holy nation, a kingdom. We're not an island. We're not just individuals. We are a kingdom. And heaven has received Jesus in the time, until the time of restoring. But that doesn't mean we just wait until he returns. He is restoring now. The time of restoring is the fullness until it finds its completion Part of his restoration is the proclamation of the gospel. And and Jesus himself tells us, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So our faith grows as we gaze at the suffering Christ. But also our faith is increased as we look to the prophet Christ. Look at verses 22 and 23. And Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So now Peter turns our attention to the prophetic office of Moses, specifically. He said all the prophets at first. Now he's going to zero in on Moses. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 18. If you're interested to go look, 18, 15 through 19. And then he throws in Leviticus 29, because it's our favorite book of the Bible. When Moses is proclaiming these words... In Deuteronomy, he's on the border of the promised land. And he's he's proclaiming them as a warning. He's saying, your fathers didn't listen the first time around. If If you go to Deuteronomy, it says like, well, it doesn't matter. This was a 14 day journey from Uh, Mount Sinai to the border, 14 days it should have taken them. It took them 40 years to get there because of their hard-headedness. He says, they didn't believe. 
And so they didn't enter into the promised land. They wandered around the desert for 40 years and then they died off, cut off from the promised land. But Moses says, but one day there will be a prophet like me who's going to come and you must listen to him. You have to listen to him. And then he jumps into Leviticus and he says, it's not just about the promised land. You will be cut off. Look at the text. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. He says, it's not that you're just not going to enter into the promised land. You're going to be cut off from the people of God. You have to listen to the prophet who comes. And then Peter says, it's Jesus who is that prophet. If you don't listen to Jesus, you will be cut off from the people of Israel. One commentator writes, Jesus functions for Israel now as Moses did at the time of the Exodus. By their response to the resurrected Jesus, Peter's audience will show whether they belong to the true Israel or not. You see, if you don't follow Jesus, if you don't obey Jesus, if you don't listen to Jesus, you're proving that you're not true Israel. That would have cut deep, and it did cut deep for their audience. So how does this strengthen our faith as a 2,000-year-removed Gentile people in the prophet Christ? The prophetic office was to proclaim the word of the Lord to reveal to the people of God the plan of God. So if we listen, if we listen to the word of Jesus, we're promised that we can rest assured of our salvation, that it's secure in him alone. If we listen to the word of Jesus, we find rest and peace and security and love unimaginable. If we listen to the word of Jesus, even in the storms, when the storms pound on us in life and we don't understand, we know we're built upon this solid rock foundation that's immovable. His words are life, living water, strength for the weak, rest for the weary, deliverance for the sinner, freedom for the prisoner, healing for the hurting, salvation for the lost. But Peter warns, but if you don't listen to him, you will be cut off, destroyed from the people of God. Just as the first generation of Israel was destroyed in the wilderness, cut off from the promised land, those who harden their hearts toward the message of Christ are cut off and destroyed. We read this in Hebrews. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He points back to the rebellion in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
And we have to be careful saying, well, that's just those people, just the Jewish people or just those who Peter was talking to because Peter, he then makes it very individual. He says in verse 23, every soul, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed among the people. So hear me this morning. If you are not following Christ, if your life is an echo of unfaithfulness, look at verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sin may be blotted out. So our faith, is in, it increases as we gaze upon the suffering Christ, and it increases as we gaze upon the prophetic, the prophet Christ. And finally, our faith increases as we gaze upon the King Christ. Peter turns now to the, the prophecy of Samuel and, and company. Everyone after him, he says, he just throws them all in there. Verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after them also proclaim these days. You were the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. If you remember, Samuel was the prophet that anointed David. He was the prophet that replaced Saul through his wickedness. He wouldn't listen to the prophetic word. In the second book, attributed to Samuel, we see that the prophet Nathan uh, promises David the eternal kingdom that is going to be, find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And, and Peter says those prophets, they were, they were prophesying about these days. He makes it very present day. He says all of them were talking about today. They were talking about these days, from the cross until the return of Christ. And by going back to Samuel, see why it's so important we read our Old Testament, we need to know all of these things. By going back to Samuel, Peter is declaring God's intention to save and bless and redeem his people through the house of David. And Peter says Jesus is that long-expected king the one who is sitting on the throne now in these days. He's reigning and he's saving and he's blessing his people. And just as David went to war on evil around God's people, Jesus went to war on evil on the cross and Paul says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. And not only did he go to war on evil and he continues to go on war against evil, he promises to bless the nations by his gospel. He then jumps to the sons of the prophets. You were the sons of the prophet and of the covenant of God who made with your fathers saying to Abraham, and you, your offspring, shall be all the families on earth shall be blessed. He's quoting Genesis 12.3. In you, all the nations will be blessed. So he says these days, they don't just refer to the last days in the sense that um, evil is perishing and the church is growing, but pleasant blessings in the people of God also. 
You were being blessed. You were being renewed. So how does this strengthen our faith in God's plan of salvation through the king? First, he's turning the Jews from wickedness of rejecting Jesus to the king. He's turning those hard-hearted people he's been going after for generations towards him. He says in verse 26, God, having raised up Jesus, his servant, sent him to you first. He's speaking to a group of Jews so that you can bless, and so to bless you and turn everyone from your wickedness. But right before that says, in, in you all the offspring, Excuse me. In your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We see this in Isaiah. The Lord says, Whom formed me in the womb to be his servant, that's Jesus, to bring Jacob back to him, and Israel might be gathered to him, for I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. So what is he saying? He's saying, okay, Jesus was born to bring Israel that's been split apart back together. Okay, for what purpose? God says, is it too light a thing for that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel? And I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. It's through Christ the King who unifies, split apart Israel. This is a lot to grab onto for the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles so that all the world will hear of Jesus Christ. We no longer kneel under the rulership or the kingship of Satan in this fallen world or other gods, but under the resurrected Christ who rules for all eternity. If you could just start grasping this church, this is who we are, this is what we're called to do, that Jesus is truly the king, that he is bringing together what sin has split apart, then we will grow Do you, church, believe that Jesus is the king? And I mean, really believe it, because if you do, you will trust and follow him. So trust Jesus. He defeats evil. Trust Jesus. He grows his church. He's the king. Be courageous when you share your faith, not in your ability to string together a bunch of beautiful words, but in the king. That grows his church. So look back at verse 17. I'm going to close on a high note. And now brothers. I know that you acted in ignorance. As did also your rulers. Have you acted in ignorance? Have you closed your ears and eyes to the mercies of God that are poured out before you and his people and in his word. And if you have, I love that there's a verse after that. God sent his Christ to suffer for your sin. And there's a verse after that. Repent and turn to him. Church, have you grown Lazy? Is your faith flailing? 
Look to Jesus. Learn of Jesus. Meditate on his word. Steep your heart in the river of life and produce the fruit of righteousness. If you don't know how, as the writer in Hebrew says, do not harden your hearts this morning. Come and talk to me. Talk to an elder. Talk to someone. We want you to know Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you, we can look to you as the suffering Christ, the, prophetic, the prophet Christ, the, the king Christ. We can look to you and we can gaze upon who you are and be strengthened in our faith. I thank you that the word is so accessible to us. Would you remind us to be in it? Would you encourage us to be in it? Help us to encourage one another. Father, we thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541 756 2591 or email us at pray at houserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot